Hey, welcome to Talk Gnosis, the web's premier internet talk show about Gnosticism, esotericism, mystical Christianity, mysticism, witchcraft, magic, art, literature, science fiction, <laughs> theater, and whatever else we feel like talking about. Uh, I am Deacon Jonathan Sword. Uh, tonight, my incarnated Aeon guest host is Jason Me Me Mel. <laughs> Jason, did I say your last name right? How many years have we known each other and I've never had to correct you on this before? Uh, it's, okay. It's Memel. Memel. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we got our uh, very special guests from Divine Spark Media, Rebecca and Price. Hello, Rebecca and Price. Hello. Hey, nice to be on. We're super excited to to have you folks on. Uh, we're super excited about the the, the Divine Spark Media project. Uh, Jason and I have been super grooving on it lately. But before we get to the good stuff, I've remembered to do our commercial at the top of the show. <laughs> this show is brought to you by viewers and listeners like you. We literally cannot do the show without uh, the financial support of uh, uh, you, the, the Gnostic elite, <laughs> Gnosticoi, <laughs> uh, curious spiritual seekers, because we, we do have to pay for hosting. We do have to pay for the digital studio, 99 Perspectives, the best uh, digital studio out there. So I know that these are tough times. And uh, if you've listened to the show before, you know that I often can't support my favorite podcast. I've started this podcast so I could contribute to someone else's Patreon. That's not true. But <laughs> I, I know these are tough times. But you can support us for as little as $1 per piece of media per month on Patreon.com. That's Patreon.com slash Gnostic. You can also set a limit. So if you can only do $1, you can set the limit of $1 in case we do 100 100 pieces of media and if you want to do a one-off donation you don't want to pay every month on patreon as that is a monthly recurring you can also donate at paypal.me slash gnostic and finally if you uh love what we're doing even if you mildly like what we're doing and you're not able to support us financially, you can still support us in lots of other ways. So share the show on social media, like and subscribe on YouTube and the podcatcher of your choice, leave good reviews, send the show to somebody that you'd like. Sometimes word of mouth, person to person is the best way to spread something. Uh, commercial number two, before we get to the good stuff, I have some training and experience as a secular mindfulness teacher. Uh, I teach meditation in Montreal. I've done it professionally as a part time job. Now that I am stuck in my house and can't leave, I have switched to doing it online. I am doing it by donation. It's mileendmeditation.com. Again, if you don't have any money and you want to come, you don't, you know, that's fine. Come for free. Uh, usually we do every Sunday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern time. You can go to mileendmeditation.substack.com. Uh, you can check out the schedule there and you can subscribe to our newsletter. If you're new to meditation and mindfulness and you want to build a practice, I also do one-on-ones and coaching also by donation. Uh, Jason, hey, Jason, do your plug. <laughs> you got a plug? Uh, I, I don't have a ton of plugs, no. Um, I, I run a theater company here in Calgary, Alberta and uh, Sage Theater, and that's pretty, basically the main the main thing I do, I'm also on a uh, podcast about storytelling, usually through comics, and that's the Pencil Town podcast. And I think that if you Google Pencil Town podcast, you'll probably get the whole show. Um, Not another podcast? Yeah. What else have you been hiding from me? I'm, I'm on so many podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the commercials are over. We can, we can finally ascend. 
It's time for the Gnostic Ascent to the Pleroma. The good stuff is here. Divine Spark Media. Hello, Rebecca and Price. Hello. Hello. Okay. Oh, uh, thank you. We can uh, open up with, uh, with uh, a very direct question, which is, what is the Divine Spark Project? What is Divine Spark Media? That's a really good starting question. It's a question that I feel like we're having to re-answer perhaps almost daily. We certainly have uh, answered it several times with several different answers since it first began. Um, the, the shortest version is that we're a multidisciplinary art collective um, that produces work that is rooted in the themes and lore of Gnosticism. Um, so basically what that boils down to is that we're producing a variety of content from several different artists who work in uh, several different fields and are uh, simply focusing their talents through the prism of Gnosticism. So illustrators have started to do character design for us. We have mixologists designing cocktails based on like, you know, they'll read the, the texts um, and then see what, what creativity that generates. We have uh, astrologers in the mix. Um, you know, it's, it's a whole mixed bag. It's sort of a world building project is the way that, um, is that we're also describing it is that we're, we're simply trying to, to populate an environment in which our audiences can explore. Extremely groovy. Now, Gnosticism is, is pretty obscure, and I wish it wasn't, and that's one of the reasons why we do this show. But, but how did you two discover Gnosticism? Rebecca, I'll let you take the answer on this one first, because I feel like your journey was probably more deliberate than mine. Oh, I don't know if that's true. I feel like you actually brought a lot of Gnosticism um, into my life, so thank you for that. Um, yeah, I have always been a seeker of sorts. I started as a child in some um, more like non-denominational Christian churches and then found that I loved all, all worlds of mythology and religion, philosophy, systems of belief, um, but that the church I was going to wasn't going to be the house in which I continued learning. So then I've been a little self-study ever since. So the idea that these texts would be considered blasphemous to the church was attractive to me at one point, which was probably how I came to them at first. Um, but Price and I went to college together and Divine Spark has been um, a, an ever-evolving entity in his life and then also in mine as a creator and now more as a, a producer and director. So it's been exciting to, to journey further into Gnosticism through the project. So, so my own journey um, was, uh, and you know, it's kind of a long winding road that I feel like will also play into the first question you asked in terms of like, what is Divine Spark? Um, so back, I think, it, no, I know exactly when it was. It would have been um, 2017, April of 2017. I was hanging out with some friends. Um, and at this point in my life, I, I wouldn't have necessarily identified as particularly religious or spiritual. I went to church um, as a kid, but it was mostly part of the the social aspect of being raised in the South. I, I stopped going after the age of 13, after my confirmation, and just never really felt connected to the religious world. Um, but I was hanging out with some friends who were artists, one of whom uh, had gone to Catholic school and um, had very actively rebelled against that um, and ha had encountered these Gnostic texts. Uh, and we were just talking about them. And the one that he first mentioned to us was the infancy gospel. 
Um, and he kind of just presented this this very like radical sort of like presented it sort of like as a deleted scene from the Bible, picturing this like crazy, uh, you know, the kid Jesus running around discovering his powers. Um, and I, I was just immediately like one sort of like Rebecca intrigued by something um, that had been decanonized um, and, and was just innately curious about the why of that. Um, and when when this material was first pitched to me, my my first impulse was short form narrative content, perhaps like we produce a web series that depicts the, the narrative scenes of whatever these Gnostic gospels are. So that afternoon, um, I, uh, I went to the Barnes and Noble and bought the, the Marvin Meyer book. Um, and we uh, basically started flipping through it and we were like, something, something interesting is here. Let's, uh, let's divide up all the gospels, um, read them, share with one another. And we'll, and then eventually like we'll, we'll trade off which ones we're reading. Uh, so we dove, dove right in with On the Origin of the World, which was a very different type of narrative. <laughs> it was much wilder, way out there. I, I legitimately think it took, it was about a year of us just arguing and debating and having discourses off this text before we were even knew like what could be done with it. We were just like immersing ourselves in the content. Um, the three of us who were starting to work on the project at the time, uh, our backgrounds were mostly in theater, so we we were... Um, sort of had our eye on a more traditional narrative-based play um, for a while as the content started to, uh, to, to reveal itself to us more and as our understanding grew, um, you know, it started to take shape and we started to listen to it tell us what it needed to be. So for instance, um, the decision to, uh, to do devised content, which is basically art artistic content that's touched by everybody's fingerprints, since the Gnostic creative story was one that was uh, collaborative, it made sense to us to have a very collaborative, um, you know, artistic collective rather than perhaps falling into traditional roles of director, writer, um, set designer that, that often come with um, more traditional programming. Um, and then it was, wasn't until about a year ago, maybe in the summer, um, that we pivoted from the traditional theatrical, uh, you know, perhaps two-parter, multi-hour sort of, you know, linear narrative structure um, and decided we wanted to do something that was more immersive, exploratory, abstract. I had uh, just learned about an art collective called Meow Wolf that's out in Santa Fe, um, and I was already familiar with uh, Sleep No More, a, a theatrical production in New York, both of which are immersive, interactive, experiential, um, uh, artistic pieces. Um, Sleep No More is a bit more narrative and is a bit more performance-based. Meow Wolf's a bit more installation-based and more, uh, you know, you're interacting with, um, with things that were built. But they both sort of like bookend uh, a spectrum that they, of, of a medium that they both occupy. So that became the plan about a year, um, you know, maybe a little over a year ago. We actually started to, uh, we, you know, we planned, we started in December to uh, get some artists together and get working on some performative content. Uh, we started workshopping that in December, January, coronavirus hits in February. <laughs> and we're like, this won't be a thing um, for a while. And um, that's when we pivoted. We said, okay, we can either hibernate, go underground, um, and, uh, and, and freeze for a while until this becomes another thing, or we can figure out what we can do now. Um, and we realized that again, a lot of, um, a lot of the themes that were already in Gnosticism kind of drove us in our direction in terms of, uh, transcending materiality. We're like in a virtual space, <laughs> our outreach is so much further. We can engage with people that without being limited by proximity or the physical ability to, to buy a ticket, show up to a venue and enter that space. Um, 
you know, it's certainly something that's on, on the roadmap that we would love to, to do in the future if and when it presents itself. Um, but again, so much of the process, again, has just been letting, letting this project tell us what it needs to be and us just rolling with the punches, rolling with the circumstances uh, and taking things forward as we needed to. Well, my bag obviously is, is churchy religious Gnosticism, but I can think of some many examples like uh, Dr. Jonathan Kahana Bloom, who we hope to have on the show someday. If you're watching Jonathan, please come on. Uh, so he sees Gnosticism as, as ancient cultural critical theory, uh, and the Gnostics don't have the words for critical theory yet, so they're trying to discuss stuff like gender through the through the main lens they have, which is religious language. And then you have somebody like Harold Bloom, and he considered his literary criticism to be a kind of literary Gnosticism. So we have these examples of people understanding Gnosticism as something more than religion, not just religion, being applied to stuff that we normally don't think of as religious. Do you folks see Gnosticism as something non-religious people can embrace and work into other genres? What potential do, do you see? Yeah, I'll go. Um, yeah, go I, for definitely, it. <laughs> I definitely see it as something that non-religious people can dig into. I do consider myself very spiritual, but non-religious at this point in my life. And I think that Gnosticism, um, at all religion and, and philosophy, they're trying to touch something like this, the divine, something unspeakable and, and put it into words. So I loved what you said about like wrestling with this language and uh, in the way that they knew how, which is under, through a religious lens. Um, but I agree, I think it's still touching um, what we're all trying to to find and put into words. And so for me, it's just part of a larger uh, like divine code in a sense. I find that in our work, we are connecting a lot of dots. And uh, one of the main projects that I'm working on for Divine Spark is actually a podcast nicknamed Dots, um, <laughs> Discourse of the Stranger, where we're taking this um, master teacher and student concept and throwing it um, into a, a Gnostic world. So we're looking at the, the stories and the lore and then um, quite literally connecting the dots between systems of belief or spiritual practice, history, current events. So I do think it's definitely an accessible framework to to knowledge, to wisdom, to that journey, however you want to embark on that journey. Um, and I also think it lends itself obviously to, to people who are more religious and looking for that framework. So I think it's very accessible in a lot of ways. Yeah, just to echo some of that, um, and, and I agree, I totally love what you said about the, the language with which they, they communicated these ideas. I, I just recently started reading the Kabbalion as part of my expanding of uh, like Hermeticism and Gnosticism and all that. And what I loved at the top of the book was that it has a very um, candid explanation in, in like the forward, I believe, um, that says something to the effect of, um, you know, like while this book isn't perhaps as ancient as other sources, it's, uh, you know, that the, the, the ideas contained therein was sort of written um, in the language of the time to convey those ideas. So like they had more scientific terminology than perhaps would be in more ancient texts. Um, but but what is um, what is being said, what is underneath that, you know, what is being perhaps, you know, uh, conveyed, there's still that like ultimate little the core truth. Um, so as artists with people, you know, being people with artistic backgrounds, I feel like, um, you know, while religion is certainly one, um, 
one type of language that one can use to talk about these ideas. Um, we've uh, we've also used um, the mediums through which we we are proficient um, to continue to discuss these ideas in in um, more abstract ways outside of just text. Yeah, uh, Jason. Before I barrel through the uh, the question sheet, is there any threads that that you want to tease out, or anything to add, or talk about, or question? Yeah, I I, I think I kind of wanted to jump uh, into like uh, the the dots. Part of the project. Whoop! There goes my cat. Um, <laughs> and uh, and just sort of tease in together some of the other threads that have that we've been hearing about about like the, the notion, like the notion of text as collaborative texts and the collaborative process of what's going on. But also the fact that like the dots project might be the first way in which a lot of people, or the primary way in which a lot of people are going to be connecting with the divine spark. Um, I guess that's that's not a question so much as a subject. Like, how how do you see dots as it relates to the the overall divine spark project uh, and it, maybe i will preface this a bit by noticing one thing i've noticed is that there is a slightly fictionalized lens to dots like mm -hmm. that it's not uh you know you're not you're not saying your your own name necessarily and sure. the, some of the, the the guests involved like there's some interesting stuff being said and so then i tried to google the guests and i'm like oh this person i, I can't find this person <laughs> you know um <laughs> So yeah, just kind of, I guess I'm I'm sort of sketching the question of like the what that what that part of the project is like looks like for you and what the what that overall what the overall piece of it is. Yeah. So we definitely acknowledge that that is probably the most accessible way into the project right now. It's definitely um, the project that we have the most content for, and um, it also is the goal of it. Really, is to bring listeners into the narrative of Gnosticism. Um, we've gone over the creation story first and foremost um, as a way just to kind of set the scene for everyone to engage further with the work. So like Price was saying earlier, there's a bunch of ways that we create content uh, and I see them in two branches. So first is very much in the world of Gnosticism and, and that creation story and the characters that spring forth from that world. And then the second is in, in the more abstract to take the themes of the stories and um, and kind of create from there. So collaboratively, we are creating our own text, our own set of Gnostic texts called the secret book of Gnosis. So that is kind of in our world of Gnosticism where, um, and Price can talk about the authorship of 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 the secret book a little bit more um but that's kind of our our bible of sorts our text mm -hmm. and it's it's all adapted from gnostic texts and just through our lens and and our translation and then dots is taking that secret book as like this is what we study from and then launching into analysis of those stories, well, coverage of those stories, going through them, and then further analysis. So you did, um, John, mention gender before as one of the concepts that Gnosticism touches on. We also um, talked about that in Dots once we introduce Sophia and Yaldabaoth as characters. It is um, one of the reasons why I love Gnosticism is this <laughs> presence of the divine feminine and possibly before that which man calls God. 
and so looking at this gender binary, how that's immediately put on the Godhead in all stories, but how Gnosticism kind of takes it a little bit further um, and challenges some of the more patriarchal, like religious beliefs. So yes, Dots is definitely a way in. We're introducing the stories for those who may not be familiar, and then also trying to get a little bit more critical with them and, and dig into them. And I love to reframe even the Gnostics into 2020 and see um, how a lot of like Greek thought and, and culture and study has actually come from Egypt. So we're going backwards and, and going forward. So it's just a fun, it's a fun project. And then um, in terms of the fictional lens, I, I use the name B, which has been a, a nickname of mine. And, and we kind of, we talked a lot about how to approach the podcast and how we wanted to build that world. And I think for me personally, uh, the stories that I share and the, uh, the way that I speak is me. It, it just is. Uh, I can't, I couldn't really keep myself out of it. And, and, and we tried, we had a whole pilot episode ready to go and I listened to it and I was like, you guys, I think I have to be in this a little bit more just for why are you here with me listening? Um, so like I tell a story of my religious upbringing in the first episode and, and seeking the church, like as a child, I looked up churches in the phone book and my dad dropped me off and I sat in the front row and took notes on the sermon and <laughs> was questioned by all grownups in the room, obviously. <laughs> so it is very much me. I think that the, the fictional lens both protects us and the project in certain ways and also offers um, a lens of, of anonymity for guests who aren't sure what world they're really diving into, um, who are interested, uh, but maybe like the idea of, of playing a character. But we're early on in the show. I mean, we were about to record our eighth episode. So ninth, if you count the special, we did a dramatic reading of Plato's Allegory of the Cave, something everyone wants to listen to <laughs> on a Saturday I, uh, night. I listen to that. Yay. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, so we're early on. So I think it, it's, again, like Divine Spark grows and evolves and tells us what it wants to be. I think we're also open to, to dots um, growing and evolving as well. This is this just felt like the most natural way for us to get started and, and be inclusive to those who weren't sure if they wanted to um, present as themselves in a public space. One thing I just want to jump in on with that was the the decision to to have our secret book of gnosis rather than like directly referencing the text as is. Um, that's something that we went back and forth on a whole lot. Um, ultimately, that decision was one based around there was oftentimes um, narratives from from different gospels, um, you know, in in the Gnostic collection that where they were similar um, but had you know different differences in terms of the the canons based on which which sects they were coming from. Um, so the the secret book sort of one boiled out of a dramaturgical document where we were just trying to decide like what is our canon for our world of show, for our world of project, our world building project, um, and, and making some decisions um, about, you know, like, you, you know, this says one thing, this says another, but what's what's the core thing that they're both getting at and trying to distill? We talked earlier in this conversation a little bit about like core truth. So we we're kind of trying to distill everything down to its most essential components. Um, 
we always saw this text as something that uh, one, we wanted to be able to perhaps distribute to our audience as well as get into on this podcast. And what it really is, is a point, as Becca said, it's a, it's a point of entry um, for our audience in, in, uh, in these stories. Um, we're similar to the Cabalion, like our, our text is, is written, you know, sort of written to be accessible um, so that people don't have to get spend a year arguing uh, and, and yelling over different texts like, like we did if they just want to hop right in. Uh, we still encourage um, folks, you know, if you're interested in this material, please go out and read the source material and check it out and take an even deeper dive. Um, but we just wanted to uh, help do the work for some folks so that we could be as accessible as possible for all kinds of audiences. Um, inter and then in terms of like the, the, the slightly fictionalized aspect, there's a game I played recently called The Council that's got all kinds of like Hermeticism, the cult, Gnosticism thrown into it. Um, and it had it has a uh, an opening title card that says this is probably a work of fiction, and I always just really <laughs> like that because uh, it's a little bit cheeky. It makes me question, um, and I love that we sort. And that's what I kind of love about our show is is that we sort of um, we we blur the lines between between reality and fiction. Um, there's certain certainly overlap between um, between the two dimensions, uh, the the one that we are creating and the one that we actually occupy. Um, and blurring those lines um, is a lot of fun. Yeah. So you mentioned that you're bringing on uh, artists and creators of all sorts and all genres, but there seems to be a lot of people with theater backgrounds. It seems that perhaps a project was sort of more, or a, a, a big part of the project was as a theater performance. So the, like the founder of Talknosis is a theater tech. I'm a former actor. I was a horrible actor, but I was a pretty good playwright and dramaturg. Uh, Jason's the artistic director of Sage Theater. Our regular co-host Lainey is a professional theater reviewer. Did you see links between theater and Gnosticism? I certainly do. Um, the link between religion and storytelling, I think, has been there since the beginning. Uh, that's you know, Greek theater is a major inspiration just for this project. Um, but that you know, it's it's all storytelling. It's all gathering around the campfire, whether it's oral tradition or whether it's written down. Um, I I certainly think those those worlds um, can can coexist and, and often do. Um, and and it is perhaps to me one of the most interesting ways to digest the stories. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jason, do you, do you, before I move on, do you have anything on that topic? Uh, I, I mean, I think I'm still, I'm still uh, just loving that phrase of this is probably a work of fiction. I'm just kind of, <laughs> right? It's so good. I'm so angry we can't like just steal it. I like keep every now and then I like just type in some synonyms on Google and be like, can we dress this up as our own thing? <laughs> well, I mean, I think, honestly, I think like this is probably a work of fiction is too short to be copyright. Yeah, it could be. It's it's really the word probably that I think makes it. That's what sells it, you know. Um, yeah, exactly. Not possibly, yeah. like possibly or maybe, but like it's probably just enough to sell a little bit of doubt. Yeah, this is plausibly a work of fiction. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was I? There was something I was going to ask. Though. I, no, I, I think you mentioned Greek theater, and that's maybe this also does bring me back to the question of like some of the other uh, the um, the devising work that's happening, and like some of the projects that won't be specifically dots or in that more like educational lecture kind of, or, or interview mode, is that like, honestly, are you guys planning to dramatize some of this stuff? Like, you know, do like a, an Oresteia of Greek, or I mean of, of Gnostic texts or something like? Yeah, I'll, I'll speak to that a little bit. Um, I, can't, I can't commit to anything too firm, just again, with the, <laughs> the world as it is today, I would just be oh, tempting okay. faith. Um, but I would say anything that we were envisioning or starting to plan, um, you know, when we when we first were starting to workshop the show as um, 
uh, with live performance, I'd say any of that's still in place, constantly rattling around in the back of my mind. Um, you know, it's every time we check in with that, it's just a decision of like, what, you know, what's the cost or the risk of, of mm -hmm. working on this project in terms of following, um, you know, safety protocols. Um, so, so that's constantly sitting there, you know, um, adapting stuff for the the live streaming sector that's what my day job is currently and i sort of fell into that this year um but bringing in some performance stuff that way um and getting back into there being um live event-based aspects of it mm -hmm. um so i'd say certainly i would love to get some more performance-based stuff and then there's all kinds of other um arenas that we're starting to dip into that i'm not even remotely familiar in but it's been exciting to get to meet those artists like we're talking um we've talked with a 3d modeler who um is has done a piece for us that's that we're uh, planning to release. Um, don't have a date on that one that yet. We're sitting on. But that's that's the other awesome opportunity, and that's what I love is to get to uh, to build a community of folks. You know, we certainly started mostly with the folks with theater background, just because that was our backgrounds. Um, but through um, you know a lot of it online, a lot of networking online, we've gotten to connect with folks who are teaching me about their craft, um, which is, I mean, I, I, that's just a joy. Awesome. So, so do you see the ancient Gnostics as forerunners of progressive political ideas, like the gender critical theory that, that I mentioned that B was talking about, and anti-colonization, anti uh, feminism, or, or do you think that these are more modern readings of the material that happen to work well, or do you think that these progressive modern ideas have nothing to do with Gnosticism, or what do you think? <laughs> Rebecca, your eyes lit up. I, I feel like I gotta give you first. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, well, feel free to cut me off because I don't know if I have a complete thought. Okay. Um, I think actually the most annoying answer is that it's probably both, but that's what I, was I but that's what I love about it. I I would not for a second hesitate to say that this is um something I'm putting onto the Gnostics that they wanted no part in um, to be like these progressive political voices. But but I definitely see it there. I, I see the framework for it in the text, um, in a lot of the texts. And in terms of the uh, anti like colonizer, it, I think one thing that's been interesting for us to discuss um, at a project level and then also just between us for fun is talking about like some of these Gnostic figures specifically like Jesus or um, Yeshua, wh whatever you would like to call him and seeing how he has been taken by e evangelical like white supremacy culture and is, is now a white man who hates everyone. <laughs> uh, that's really reductive. But, but it's been really interesting for us to kind of take it back and go, okay, who do we think these people are? Um, who were the authorities of the time, historically speaking? So who were these thinkers pushing against? So I think in a lot of ways it's there, but I would never be so bold as to say that this is what they meant. I'm I'm happy to admit that I'm probably putting a lot of my own ideals onto them and, and hoping well, it works. I, I agree that I think it's both. Um, similarly, I was thinking about this question a lot recently um, because it's it's hard to judge people by the, the uh, standards of the present when they existed in, in totally different social and cultural environments. Um, yes. it's, it's like the idea of, um, of America as like a land of opportunity or a great American melting pot. Like we've said that pretty much, the idea of the great American melting pot has existed since 
it started. We, we looked into this fairly recently. Um, but when America started, that was really mostly just uh, a melting of white men with slightly different Christian backgrounds. Like it wasn't inclusive of, uh, of any minority group, really. Um, but we have since come to agree, or at least many of us uh, have since come to agree on the inclusivity of the idea of the great American melting pot. So is that a read-in that, um, that we are applying to it that wasn't a part of its original intention? Or was that always a part of its original intention? I don't think we ne necessarily, I, I, think it, I think that it had to have been a part of the core idea, even if the original creators, if you went around and pulled them and they said, no, you know, this, this is only for white landowning men of a Christian faith, um, they did sow the seeds for that read-in to come later after the fact. Um, it may have taken us a while to, to realize the full potential of what that meant and, and how just how inclusive it should be. Um, I, I love using the Great American Melting Pot as the example because to me the, the core idea is very Gnostic. It's saying let's you know look for wisdom from the best sources. Um, it doesn't matter where they came from and, and let the, the wisest ideas rise to the top. I don't think we've necessarily succeeded at that. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, that, that was always sort of a part of the mission statement. It just took us, it, it's continuing to take us time to realize it. So Gnosticism, it, it does seem to be having a, a still rather humble. Oh, Sorry, just, just before you jump into the next question, because I actually, some of what we just got into there, I really want to dig back into. Do you mind if I? Oh, please. Yeah. Uh, okay, great. Um, because this actually goes back to that the question about the fictionalization and mm -hmm. the, the idea of creating your own Gnostic text is that like because the other thing about Gnosticism is that like actually as John was about to say it's it's experiencing a resurgence, um, uh, but along with that there there is a lot of um, differences of opinion around uh, around what constitutes Gnosticism, uh, what people did believe back then, what they didn't believe, what we can say about what they did or didn't believe like. There's a lot of debate, you know, mm. um, around that, and uh, it can get quite heated. And that's, I guess, the question is: is that was was it intentional to avoid uh, uh, to, to sort of have like a firewall against some of that, uh, um, you know, like a debate? Like, not that you're not that you're shutting down debate, but that you're just trying. You're like you're saying, hey, not, not not yeah. but this is yeah, this is not like. We're not saying this is this text. You know? Exactly. That's I think you and thank you. You reminded me of something that is a part of the secret book I forgot to touch on earlier, which is that we are also including um, sources that were not a part of original Gnostic sources. And I think that speaks exactly to that. We're um, coming up. We're going to be getting into some of um, Buddha's um, Buddhist stories. Um, we're getting into some historical stories. We talk about. Uh, I don't want to spoil what's what's coming up too much, so I'll <laughs> I'll shut up. But but we into that for that exact reason, it gave us the opportunity to also apply this Gnostic lens to other stories that that perhaps it hasn't been applied to yet. So sort of again going back to this idea of the world building in in our world of project, we're taking that Gnostic origin story as our big bang, our sent our cat uh, catalyst event, and we're saying if this happened, if this were true. How does that color all these other different stories that are a part of, if that's just a one chapter one of history, then how does, if that's true, then how does that affect your reading of like Darwin's uh, journey and on the Beagle forming the theory of evolution and, and having a crisis of his own religious faith? Um, if the, what if these are the authorities figures that are, um, you know, manipulating events during the civil rights movement? Um, you know, what, what, so it's it kind of allows us to to apply this wisdom versus ignorance theme 
um, to other stories that perhaps they they haven't been applied to or that they hadn't been considered in the context of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. I, I do think, like I had mentioned before saying it, it protects us in a way. I think that's what kind of keeps us tied to, um, for our purposes, this is an art project that we're um, exploring these concepts and these ideals, um, which I think keeps us away from saying this is uh, what we think and feel and you should think and feel this way as well, which in my opinion is not Gnostic, is, is anti-Gnostic in that way. So I think we really do want to encourage uh, more exploration and more study in all of this. And I, I loved, Price, what you were saying about the the melting pot i mean first and foremost we are looking at this from through an american lens which you could argue was never gnosticism was never meant for americans you know not meant <laughs> to be looked at through that lens so i think that ties back into the um did they really think this progressively or are we putting it on there i think when just like the founders of america i think the gnostic thinkers as well you you try to get at something, but you you can't. They can't forecast down the line like the possibilities for what these ideas could mean and the the shapes that they could take. So, in a lot of ways, no, they probably wouldn't care for what <laughs> what you know we're we're attempting to put on their work now. But I think that's kind of the beauty of of evolution and progression is that at some point, what started with you snowballs and it's no long it no longer belongs to you which which we also as a as a collective like love the idea of everyone having handprints on the work that we're making and it really really being collaborative yeah. um i actually want to like take some of what you were saying there and leap uh basically combine john's question about gnosticism having a resurgence and his other question about mm -hmm. like uh can gnosticism become the next big thing like uh, you know, Gnosticism on TikTok, or as uh, I, I, it occurred to me, like, because there's witches, I guess, on TikTok, which has made me sound really old, even as I said that sentence. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, I'm also deciding that we can coin right now, hashtag uh, TikTok uh, for, for Gnosticism. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, maybe combining that, like, uh, if, if you guys have a sense of, of anything that has contributed to Gnosticism's resurgence for you, like what helped you discover it, what, any connections you guys have made? And yeah, like what does that look like going forward? Like what would it be, you know, and, and what part does Divine Spark have in that, like, you know, resurgence of, of Gnosticism? For me, I, I, I hope that yes, uh, because I don't think we would have started this project if we thought there was no market for it. Um, and not to say that, that we are uh, market driven. I don't, you know, similarly, we're, we're not uh, commercially based, we're not we're not really even making material that uh, that it's easy to sell. We're not interested in that. Um, but we wanted to make sure that an audience existed. Uh, for me, I think there's a term that I discovered early in my research that um, that said something to the effect of Gnostics sort of arising out of a sense of thrownness at the time, um, being tossed sort of into a world randomly, um, you know, with that, that that doesn't necessarily care for you. Um, and I feel like sometimes I. Uh, feel that way and maybe that's the appeal to me is just the recognition of like where I was born to what family with what privileges none of that I decided I didn't pass any test um, on the other side before I was born to to be um, you know some litmus test that decided you know how easy or how hard my life would be um, it just happened um, and 
that's something that I think about a lot. And so not, and Gnosticism, um, appealed to me in that, from, from that angle. Um, I don't know if that's a feeling that, I don't know if that's something that's unique to me or if that's something that's sort of just like coming back around perhaps on a wider scale. Um, but that was at least my entry point into it a little bit. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I would love to see Gnosticism on, on TikTok. There's a TikTok astrologer, her, well, she's an astrologer, but has a large following on TikTok, Marin Altman. And she correctly predicted uh, the entire election this year in, <laughs> in America. So I think there are some really cool things happening on these platforms. And I almost feel like I'm too old for some of these platforms. So I don't know if I'm gonna be the TikTok Gnostic, like Gnostic of everyone's dreams. I think maybe <laughs> we'll need we'll need some younger. <laughs> I feel so old all of a sudden. I think we'll need some <laughs> some younger minds um, hopping on this. But I I do I think the idea of it having a resurgence is really interesting. And I have actually seen on. Uh, even on Instagram, some conversation of who Gnosticism is for. And uh, even we talk a lot about being white on, on dots because we, uh, you know, um, I'm white, <laughs> Bryce is white. So <laughs> shocker. Um, <laughs> but I've even seen a lot of conversation that's like, why are all these white people interested in Gnosticism uh, all of a sudden? And, and it comes from these very specific Coptic roots. And, and so that's, you know, touching on what you were speaking about earlier, that there is some heated debate to it. And so I think it's interesting. I don't know if I have any answers as to why it's happening, but I do think that as more people are going through what we talked about in the allegory of the cave episode, this schism, this pain, this moment of, of, of pain and panic when you are either ripped away or come to learn that what you believed might not be what happened, historically accurate, um, true to you and your life anymore, what, whatever it is, whatever that, that moment is for you, I think mm -hmm. that Gnosticism really touches on how to take that journey and how to allow for um, a kind of a reckoning with your own personal belief system. That's kind of where it got me too, oh, was that time. Yeah, One point I wanted to pick up on that um, in terms of an, uh, a social reason or in terms of like where the current culture is and why I think it could be ready for it is exactly just the allegory of the cave has been coming up a lot for me lately. Um, and I think that because it, it does touch on a lot of that that um, that theme where, you know, of, of wisdom versus ignorance with living in the darkness as being the ignorance and being brought into the light with wisdom. Um, and I think it's some that journey from from inside the cave to out of the cave um, is something that we're going to have to learn to navigate not only for ourselves um, but for others, especially with how divided we are as a nation right now. Um, I think that uh, that what Gnosticism has provided me with by reframing the conflict as being between wisdom and ignorance as opposed to good and evil mm. is um, laying out the 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 task or the necessity on helping people through that journey. The recognition that the journey from darkness into light is painful, that it is often resisted, um, that that is how we work. We've known since Plato that this is how our brains function, that it's an allegory for, for what it is to be human and how challenging it is to, to, to bring people to wisdom. Um, and the text has meant a lot to me because it is patient, um, it is empathetic, um, and it provides a roadmap for 
how the work can be done of, of um, seeking the light. Um, so given how divided we are right now, how much I feel like people are dealing with their own caves, um, then yeah, maybe it's, maybe there, it is a time that at least these ideas can be popularized, whether or not people know that it's Gnosticism, just like there's a lot of movies or art or theater that I would call Gnostic that, you know, I don't know if the creators intended that or, um, or not. Um, but, uh, now that I know more about Gnosticism, I would call certain things Gnostic in their philosophies. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that I'm hoping that the ideas appeal to people because I think it's a good time for them. Yeah. Well, um, continuing. Oh, go ahead, Jason. Sorry. I keep, you know, I've run on a few, I've got, I'll, I'll hold my ideas, John, you go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, just talking about, uh, uh, these ideas and how people are reacting to them, the, the, Continuing what, what uh, Price was saying, uh, I have a couple linked questions here. Uh, how do people who are unfamiliar with the Gnostic tradition respond to Divine Spark? Uh, and do you have an elevator speech explaining what Gnosticism is to you? Uh, because it can kind of sound like a real downer. Like, I don't think it is um, for, for lots of reasons, some simple, some complicated. But do you encounter any resistance due to the, the so-called Gnostic cosmic pessimism? Um, on my own end, I would say not, not a whole lot of resistance yet, but that's um, probably also a result of um, the, the circles I run in are probably more ready for, for something that either challenges a belief they do have or that um, is just this abstract and out there. Um, there are friends that I have that are, that are of uh, either Christian faith or more tra you know, traditional religious faith that have been interested and excited um, by this project and just curious about it by nature. Um, regarding elevator pitches, if you have any, I'd love to hear them because it's something I struggle with all the time. The really dumb thing I say all the time, it's so dumb and I probably shouldn't even say it on the show, but, um, I like the easiest thing I'm like, okay, so like, you know, the wizard of Oz and wicked. So like, there's the Bible and Gnosticism. That's kind of, and that, that's like my entry point is I'm just like, <laughs> that's with, good like good. The, the characters on their head provides like, it, it just, that's the easiest way to describe sort of what the origin story does. It's very dumb, boiled down version. Um, but some, but if people are familiar with those works, that's usually enough for them to be like, Oh, tell me a little bit more. And then usually the, that's when I lead in sort of with the, the origin story. I'm, I'm, I'm going to steal that for sure. Yeah, that, that's a good one. The, yeah, the Wizard of Oz Wicked one is good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally stealing that. I, uh, I've actually been trying to come up with an elevator pitch for Gnosticism to explain it to people where I don't even have to refer to the Bible. Like, what, how to, what, yeah. what's the way of explaining it where then you can be like, oh, and people applied this to Christianity and people applied it to this because there's like pre Christian Gnosticism. And, exactly. You know, like, yeah. Um, yeah. But so far, the best I've got is that uh, Gnosis is, is the best way I, I can find to spiritually describe what it feels like to have a good idea. Yeah, mm. I love that. Yeah, because at the end of the day, those are, you know, the, using the the um, tr Christian lens or the J.A.O. Christian lens or that, that brand of Gnosticism, I feel like I often lean back on because it's just the, the story that folks are going to be familiar with. Exactly. But those are the ideas that I can't, in terms, once I get into that aspect of the conversation of like, why does this mean so much to me? Like once I start to personalize it, it's that yeah. stuff. It's, it's what is gnosis, it's what is wisdom and ignorance. It's talking about the, um, and it's wh why we apply these stories and these themes to historical works, to other works as well, is because um, because that that's ultimately what where the um, where the drive for me at least comes from. Totally. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think the most resistance that we've been met with so far on our end is actually people thinking that we are more religious in terms of the project or the stories or like we are promoting a religion. And so mm. that's something that we've gotten very good at saying, you know, no, this is the lens that we're looking at and more of this critical theory uh, mm. lens. So I think that's that's oddly the resistance that we've come up against is people not wanting to be religiously affiliated. Yeah, and it's very interesting also when we come across terms like religion or prayer and stuff, because there's a lot also that we try to reclaim a little bit. We had um, one of my favorite conversations um, that I've had with collaborators is, um, you know, to me, I, I would call the creation of art a prayer, um, at least in, in the ways in which I'm spiritual or religious. Yep. So like yeah. some, sometimes they, I'll say stuff like that and then people are like, oh, so like you're a religious organization, I'm like, but or you like you are a church of sorts. I'm like, no, like, but you pray. I'm like, yeah, but like not not like it's in our way. Um, and that's what I love about Gnosticism as well is I think it has it leaves room for that for you to engage with that that divine good idea gnosis um, in whatever ways um, that that work best for you. Yes. Well, and that, that that reminds me of the Greek theater we were like mentioning way back before, which was like that was a form of prayer back then. Like they were, <clears throat> it wasn't like come to Broadway and check out the Horastia. It was like this is a form of religious mm -hmm. presentation. Is yeah, it's it's an evocation, and that can be to a god, to an idea, to a to an individual, um, yeah. and I love that. Yeah. Mm. Now, unfortunately, this has been uh, such a great time, but we are getting close to the end. Uh, before <laughs> I, I ask uh, the final question, uh, I'll circle back to the elevator pitch. There's one that I did steal. I think it's from Doctor Stephen Davies. If somebody out there knows who it who I actually stole it from, <laughs> please let me know because I can't remember. But Gnosticism is the story of God having a mental breakdown, becoming us, and how we can reverse the process. So I, I thought that that was uh, uh, fun. Uh, so cool. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I so love that great. so much. Well, feel free to steal it. And hey, feel free to say that it's uh, uh, that that's a Jonathan Stewart quote. It's not, but please feel free to say that. Okay. <laughs> so last question. Uh, what artists of any kind in any genre who work with Gnostic themes inspire you? Ooh, man. Um, I'll, I'll just hop in real quick. The, um, my like straight off the dome answer would be the ones um, where I was less familiar with the medium because I am just so thoroughly enjoying getting to learn about um, about subjects. That, that's been one of my favorite parts about working on this project. So right more recently um, on one of our latest projects that we just started publishing um, on Instagram and our website and Patreon, um, is an astrology based project. I knew nothing about astrology, but we have uh, a lovely astrologist, astrologer, astrologist. Oh my astrologer. God. Astrologer. Thank you. <laughs> John, um, who, who basically would, um, she did these write ups on upcoming astrological events, um, you know, did sort of readings of what they may mean for our current time, as well as reflecting on the last time this event occurred. And so we're kind of just, we're playing a game of like looking for patterns, being like, what happened last time? Are there, do we see any connectivity? And it's our hope with this project that we can continue to expand upon our astrological research, apply it to history and see what patterns do or do not emerge. So that one's been really fun for me. I'm going to answer the question a little bit differently. Um, <laughs> and maybe this is the wrong way to answer it. But um, it's been fun for me af 
after really digging into Gnostic thought to go back and read stories and series that I love and view them like through a Gnostic lens. So particularly mm -hmm. the Lord of the Rings uh, series and also Harry Potter has, which we are reclaiming from JK. <laughs> it is ours, <laughs> um, it is ours, she can't hurt that. So it's been fun to uh, revisit. I, I'm a huge Joseph Campbell fan, loved mythology growing up, um, have all of his books. So I've always viewed them through that lens, but now to put this Gnostic framework on it, it's been fun to revisit stories and be like re-inspired by these journeys that I'm familiar with, but seeing what I can um, dig into and dig out now, now with Gnosticism in the mix. One super Gnostic show I got to plug real quick because I really wanted to get renewed um, is <laughs> Infinity Train on HBO Max. It's an animated series, super Gnostic. Um, the arc of it is really great. Love the stories and the cast, but it, when I saw it, I was I, I was taking notes and and trying to steal ideas left and right. It's so good. Oh, very cool. I, I haven't heard of it, so I'm definitely going to check it out. Um, Re Rebecca, I loved what you were saying there about uh, um, well about reclaiming, but also about that notion of like applying a Gnostic lens to things. Like that's something uh, John and I are actually working on a project uh, that w will hopefully be released in the new year where, uh, yeah, part of it is approaching texts and the question isn't, did they mean for this to be Gnostic? Like the, the question is, is that like, can we find a Gnostic teaching in it, whether or not they intended it? Yeah. Um, I think which is, and again, in that Joseph Campbellian mode, like you might like, and for me, Gnosis is a form of art and experiencing it as a form of art. So if you're experiencing art, then Gnosis got in there somehow, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I'm a I am a tarot artist, and I love looking at the fool's journey as well um, through both the Campbell lens and then the Gnostic lens. And actually, one of my new favorite tarot decks is Dali. Salvador Dali made an entire tarot deck, and it was supposed to be a prop for a James Bond movie. And then he and the director fell out like over creative differences because Dali was like, I'm gonna do this up if I'm doing a tarot deck. And the director was like, okay, I don't think we can go that far. And so Dali actually continued his and on his own and completed the deck. And I think there are so many Gnostic references in the deck. And again, uh. whether he meant that or not, they just are, they're there, they're undeniable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, God. I mean, if, if Gnosticism is true, which real, uh, which we probably think it is, if we're doing this, <laughs> we are gonna we are gonna find it places because it's programmed into reality. But, but on the other hand, I've started to come to think of Gnosticism less than, uh, uh, not a religion, but more of of an approach, uh, a lens to view things through. So it's mm. an approach to religion, it's an approach to art, it's a hermeneutical lens for us to to understand reality, and it can be applied to a wide range of things. It's a perspective, uh, uh, um, an interpretive uh, 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 pair of glasses that we can pop on, uh, and therefore uh, reclaim and work with just about everything. Um, 
that said, it's been amazing. It's been super awesome having you folks on. We'll have to do it again sometime. Would love um, it. Please. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. yeah. Really. So everybody go to divinespark.co, uh, find Divine Spark on the social medias that they've shared. We are under the name Talknosis on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Patreon. Uh, if someone is young and hip and watching or listening to this and wants to make TikToks for us, because yes. I am obviously way too old, please get at us because we want that hashtag tick knock so um yeah and I, I just want to echo what Joan was saying about having you guys on again I mean as soon as you brought up the tarot like I mean I think there's probably like an, an art and Gnosticism conversation here to be had as well yeah I mean we, our door is open so please we'd love yes. to continue the relationship we love talking <laughs> fantastic okay well this is uh Deacon John signing off goodbye everybody